As the landlord for the federal government, the General Services Administration and its public building service oversee one of the largest real estate holdings anywhere. Several administrations, though, have tried to rationalize that portfolio. With half of GSA's private leases set to expire in the next five years, the agency has a chance to do get rid of some excessive space. As part of our ongoing special report, GSA at 70, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the PBS commissioner, Dan Matthews. It's a huge opportunity. Half our inventory consists of private sector leases, and the other half of our inventory are government-owned buildings. But out of that private sector leases, we have a roughly 180 million square feet of, of office space. It's a tremendous portfolio. It's one of the largest real estate portfolios in the world. And half of those leases are expiring in the next five years. That creates a tremendous opportunity for turnover and transforming that portfolio into a smaller, better utilized, more cost-effective portfolio. And that's what we're focused on. To do that, when those leases expire, our goal is to replace at least 80% of those expiring leases, particularly the high-value ones, which represent most of the money, with good long-term solutions that include consolidation, so a smaller footprint than we would be replacing. And when we go out to the market with long-term requirements, that gets us far better pricing and concessions from the uh, private sector. I'll give you one one little factoid. Uh, This year alone, this fiscal year, we have executed a number of uh, new leases, and those leases have come in 11% below market. Historically, we've been running about 3 to 4% below market. So what changed? How is it that we're getting such a, uh, a larger concessions, better pricing on our leases? And it's two things. One, we're using our brokers and we're focusing on long-term leases. And when we put a longer-term lease out there, there's a lot of competition. That's very valuable for a landlord and for uh, institutional investors. And so there's competition for these deals and we reap the benefits. This could be part of a larger conversation, but a big trend in what I'm seeing with PBS now and, and might be worth going into in more detail, but the, the data driven decision making for a lot of these things of of just knowing and identifying those leases certainly knowing when leases are about to expire identifying you know really the the value and knowing how long to make leases for and and things like that Um, if you could go into maybe a little bit of the detail of how data driven decision making empowers a lot of the decisions that are made here at PBS it does, and um, as technology improves and we have better systems, uh, we're modernizing them uh, on a regular basis, we have better quality data. We still have some gaps, some important gaps across our inventory that uh, make it difficult at times to make really good real estate decisions. Because again, our goal the GSA is to make sure that we're able to provide real estate that agencies need to fulfill their mission that we do it at the best possible price for the taxpayer. So again, like with a leasing portfolio, that means transforming that portfolio into a smaller, better utilized, better quality, more cost-effective portfolio for meeting the agency's missions. One of the important data points that we need to make those types of decisions is how well are our buildings actually being used on a daily basis. The private sector is way ahead of us when it comes to that. But in many of our properties, federal employees have an HSPD 12 card, an ID card, and when they walk to the front door, they swipe that card, and then when they leave, they swipe again. And so we have, in those locations, really good daily occupancy data, unique individuals. Uh, We know how many people are using that building. We know what the capacity is in that building. 
that there's a big delta between the two, we can identify excess capacity in our, in our real estate. And that allows us to make smart decisions. Where do we put our capital? Maybe to restack a federal building so that we can take an expiring lease and move the people from the lease into a building that the taxpayers have already bought and paid for, and that we're paying every day to operate and maintain it. If we can be in one building instead of two buildings with a private lease, we can save a tremendous amount of money. And so that type of data would be a real game changer. We have it for many of our buildings, but not, not all of them, and not even all of our large buildings. But that would really make a huge difference in being able to make smart real estate decisions for our agencies. They'll spend less money on, on rent and the taxpayer. That's an interesting trend. And, you know, as far as some of the specific use cases of that, you know, I think that was part of what went down with the GSA regional building right near Lanthan Plaza. You know, I, I hear that was a lot of the, the decision making was based on that PIV card swipe in, swipe out, just seeing how many people were in there in person versus, you know, teleworking or things like that. How much of that factored into the ultimate decision of, you know what, we can bring more employees here at 1800F at GSA headquarters. If you could just walk me more through how much of a role that played in that decision. It was critical. And I would say our top two budget requests in fiscal year 2020, pending in Congress right now, uh, our project proposals were possible because somebody had daily occupancy data. So to use the example that you just cited, here our headquarters at 1800 F Street. It's a large, old, 19, early 1900s federal building. Half of it was renovated with the uh, stimulus program, half of it was not. So a tremendous taxpayer investment went into this building to renovate it. And we also have a pretty uh, significant telework program at GSA. Our employees have laptops, uh, mobile phones. We're pretty much paper free in terms of getting our work done. So we're very, very mobile. And so anecdotally, you know, if you walk around the building, sometimes it's, it's, it's pretty clear it's not being fully utilized. There are a lot of empty seats. Yet on paper, we have one of the best utilization rates in the federal government. Per square foot, we have about 139 square feet per person of usable office space. That is extremely, it's one of the lowest in the federal government. That's on paper meaning the people assigned to the building. But again, when you actually walk through the building on certain days, you can see there are a lot of empty chairs. So anecdotally, our observations tell us, hmm, this, isn't, this might not be the best utilized building, even though on paper it looks like it is. But because we had that daily swipe data, we knew on our busiest day, we had a thousand empty seats in our building. Well, that allowed us to make a strategic portfolio decision about our regional office building at 7th and D Street in Southwest DC. It's again, a large federally owned building. We have 1300 people assigned there. So right now we're paying, the taxpayer is paying for the 1800 F Street and the regional office building. And we're paying to operate those every day. We know that in our regional office building, even though we have 1300 people assigned there, there aren't 1,300 people there on any given day. And so we were able, with the data, to know that we can move them into our headquarters building. And that freed up many floors at the regional office building, which then allowed us to reposition that building. It's from the 1930s. It's never had a full renovation. A lot of its systems are old, but it has a fabulous location. It sits on top of almost every major transportation line in D.C. by LaFont Plaza. So there's a lot of demand for federal employees to be in a location like that. It's easy to get to. And knowing that we could move so many people into our building, that allowed us to propose a, a significant um, capital allocation to renovate that building. And then that's going to allow us to move another federal agency in and get out of uh, probably um, 250,000 square feet or more of privately leased space. And as far as future tenant agencies for that space, 
are there any talks of, of who might be moving into that space or who would be a good candidate? Uh, there are a lot of agencies that would be interested in being that location. Um, we're working out the details, but uh, one of our other tenants in that building now is the Department of Homeland Security, and, and they have an interest, but uh, we're, we're working out those details now. Going into further detail on that, you know, it seems to me like a big trend is this, this co-location of buildings, of, of multiple agencies inhabiting the same space. Uh, you see that more, I, I, would, I would assume, um, elsewhere in the country, these large federal buildings. Do you see that as something that, you know, down the line in the big picture, you know, 10-year, 20-year scope, do you see that as something that will play out more of a trend? So I would say a, a multi-tenant federal building has been the standard at GSA um, long before GSA was created 70 years ago, frankly. Um, most communities in America have a, a either early 1900s or a, a 1930s um, federal building and post office because they were combined. That's really quite common. Uh, still is today. Uh, we certainly have purpose-built facilities as well. You see a lot of those in Washington, D.C. because we have departmental headquarters, and they're so large, they're usually spanning multiple buildings. Um, so the headquarters building typically is a single tenant. But uh, multi-tenant federal buildings are pretty common. When I look into the future, what I really see is a smaller federal footprint. We have, uh, like I said, about 370 million square feet of of real estate. Uh, roughly 78, 80% of that is office space. And we house about 1.1 million federal employees in that space. And you can do the math. That's not the best utilization rate. So we certainly have room for improvement and we will be able to reduce our footprint over time. That's been a bipartisan effort. And frankly, it spanned administrations. The previous administration proposed and endorsed the uh, freeze the footprint and then reduce the footprint initiative. This administration has continued it because it's successful. It is delivering real value to the taxpayer and to our tenant agencies so they have more money to put into their employees, into their technology, less into real estate so they can meet their mission. This has been a priority for, as you said, multiple administrations there's been a lot of attempts to reduce the footprint, as you said. Something that I think you know is new to that equation was the recent passage of the Federal Assets Sale and Transfer Act, FASTA. Um, and I know that you've, you've spoken as uh, an expert witness or, or whatever you want to call it for the board that was set up under that law. And so I know that GSA has sold parcels of land as a result of FASTA. And you know I know this board is still very early stages in what they're looking at. But how do you see the partnership of GSA having this mission of trying to reduce and freeze the footprint and the mission of this board, you know, how do you see that partnership playing out in the years ahead? So um, right off the bat, I would say uh, GSA is committed to the success of this statute and the board. And so we're supporting the board uh, in any way that we can to help it be successful. That's, that's ongoing now. Congress viewed there was a significant problem. Uh, that's why they passed the law to begin with. The current law or the previous law governing federal property disposals was very cumbersome to say the least. And the outcome of those laws and policies were that very, it was very difficult to sell or dispose of federal property. And if that's the case, you think about it, you know, we've been around for 243 years now as an independent country, and we've accumulated a lot of real estate over the time, over those years, and it's difficult to get rid of it. So over time, you end up with real property that you really don't need, but you still have it. It's on the books, and it's costing a lot of money to hold on to, to operate and maintain. And so part of Congress's goal in reducing our overall footprint was on the own side, to make it easier to dispose of federal property when it doesn't meet federal needs. 
Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned gaps in the data. I think when it came to some of the the smart building technology of of knowing you know the in out data. With that in mind, do you see gaps in the data of GSA maintains the I believe the federal real property portfolio. So this really big picture scope of all the real property that all the government holds. Is there a better way to to drill down on that data and really get actionable intelligence? I guess on what to do or or identify like a short list of you know here are the ten owned properties right now that you know do we really need them? Do they have that utilization rate that's good or not? Any thoughts there? A couple of things. So one, I would say that federal real property profile is not intended to be an asset management tool. So we're one of the largest um, landlords for the federal government, certainly for the civilian side of the, of the federal government. We have far more data on our properties than is reported to the federal real property profile. We have to have much greater depth of financial information, facility condition information, uh, things like that in order to, to manage our portfolio effectively. That's really not the purpose of the federal real property profile. It spans the entire government. So uh, it, in agencies, landholding agencies have other systems to track uh, the type of information that we do to manage their portfolio. But it is very useful for a, on a strategic level to have a database that tracks these larger portfolio questions. That's what the statute was intending to create, and uh, we're in a much better place today than we were just three years ago, frankly, when it comes to having a government-wide database of real property and being able to make very high-level strategic portfolio decisions on the basis of it. Changing gears here a little bit, you know, there, there, there's a, a school of thought in Congress that government should run more like a business, and this is an opportunity where the government is in the business of real estate, which is more often than not a private sector thing. It, it seems like it's, it's a, an incredible challenge, and you know there are certainly some opportunities that come along with that. But what makes this unique in government among you know what is inherently, for the most part, you know a, a, a private sector enterprise? Right. So I would say GSA has a very unique value proposition. Uh, it's why GSA was created in, in 1949, 70 years ago. And I'd say that value proposition is just as valid today as it was then. And in a nutshell, it is this, that a centralized organization that specializes in real property uh, management and acquisition will do a better job of that for the taxpayer than agencies whose primary mission is something other than real estate. And so so for us at the Public Building Service in particular, I sum up our mission, our goal as twofold. It's, it's mission and money. First, we have to help agencies achieve their mission through real estate, but we have to do it in a way that at the best value for the taxpayer. Because if we can't add value to that proposition, then frankly, we ought to close our doors and let agencies just run their own real estate. But the reality is we provide tremendous value to agencies. We are showing them how to reduce their footprint, how to modernize, how to build smarter buildings that are more cost-effective to operate and maintain every day. And that returns significant dollars to them for their mission and also to the taxpayer. Dan Matthews, Commissioner of the Public Building Service, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. As prices keep creeping up, your entertainment budget doesn't have to take a hit. Live One Plus has all the music you love, ad-free for only $3.99 per month. Dive into Live One's massive library of songs, listen to curated playlists, or create your own. Check out exclusive artist-hosted stations and do it all for the best price in streaming. 
Lock in a Live One Plus membership for just $3.99 per month now, and you'll not only beat inflation, you'll get all your favorite music ad-free. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Love Target? Well, you're about to love it even more. With Target Red Card, you'll save 5% every day, in-store and online. Find the red card that's right for you, whether it's debit, credit, or Target's new Red Card Reloadable, which doesn't require an existing bank account or credit check. With Target Red Card, you'll get exclusive deals and free shipping on most items. Visit Target.com slash Red Card to get all the details. It's always a great day to save. Restrictions apply.